Hello, and thank you for listening to the Kind Mind Podcast. This is your host and friend, Todd Fink, a citizen of the world, speaking to you with sincere care and concern during this very challenging time under national emergency in the United States and in the midst of the global pandemic of the coronavirus. This is a very serious public health situation, and for countless people it is also an intense psychological test. My heart goes out to all who are sick or love someone who got sick or died, and all who are very anxious in this uncertain time. Just as, just as this outbreak started in one region and has since spread exponentially, so too fear and panic can go viral. When the sun is clouded over in the sky, sunflowers turn towards each other to look for the light. Similarly, in times of darkness, we need to be able to count on one another. Many have reached out to me for guidance and insight and have requested some perspective that hopefully will bring some calm in the midst of chaos. We've been instructed to practice social distancing, regardless of who may disregard, so as to interrupt the chain of infection to protect not only ourselves but those most vulnerable, including our senior citizens and those with pre-existing health conditions. But we also need tips to help us access our courage to break the chain of fear and optimize our ability to coordinate our response in the most compassionate and rational manner, as many are now as scared of the public panic and economic fallout as much as the virus. And so, although there is so much to be processed, and everything is changing quickly, and we're all living moment to moment, I'll share what I can now to support you. First, let's take one deep breath together. Sometimes we think of calmness as the opposite of stress, but calmness is actually the absence of stress. A strong case can be made that the opposite of stress is kindness. If we observe stress and the types of thoughts associated with it, you'll find worry about the future and obsession around personal insecurity. Then notice the visceral changes in the body like hormonal shifts that lead to increases in adrenaline and cortisol for fight-flight response. But cortisol is also an immunosuppressant, which is how it can be manufactured into anti-inflammatory creams, because inflammation is an immune response. So we can easily see that kindness functions in reverse of these stress changes in the body. Studies show that acts of kindness release the hormone oxytocin, which actually helps to decrease the stress hormone cortisol. And there's a scientific consensus that it modulates fear and anxiety and has antidepressant effects as well. Oxytocin also plays an important role in human bonding and prosocial behaviors, and most relevantly for us now, trust in one another. I'll come back to trust in a bit. But first, this is in no way to suggest that kindness is a treatment or cure for this disease, stress, or, or any other medical condition for that matter. Please immediately seek professional treatment if you're sick. But it is to say that kindness will play an essential role in getting us through this together. And there's evidence that performing acts of kindness improves immune functioning. Heck, just thinking of kindness or witnessing it can produce these health benefits as evidenced in the study of what is now known as the Mother Teresa effect. 
at Harvard University where subjects watched videos of her carrying out acts of kindness and service to orphans. And then they experienced measurable boosts in their own immunity, uh, which was confirmed by analysis of saliva samples. And remember to include yourself in your kindness. Meditation on self-compassion has been shown to enhance antibody production in laboratory experiments. But keep in mind that merely displaying kindness as a type of virtue signaling or for the sake of self-interest does not seem to yield the same positive results. Hence, psychologists have differentiated between strategic kindness and altruistic kindness, and each follows separate pathways in the brain. So it would be wise to tune into empathy first in order to prime the pump of premium kindness and genuine goodwill in this crisis. In a matter of just a few days, some industries are already collapsing. These extraordinary measures are bringing the economy to a grinding halt, resulting in widespread panic. It is proof how quickly everything can change, and how not just individuals, but massive businesses, in a sense, also live paycheck to paycheck. I think it's important to reflect on what that tells us about the precarious nature of our collective life, and what it means to live beyond our means, not just as a single consumer, but as a civilization. All right, let's take a moment to cultivate empathy, which is feeling with others, in order to inspire kindness. And let's do this while contemplating the important intervention and measure to stay at home and do our part and protect each other. Let the empathy and kindness start with your own life and flow outward. Self-compassion is not selfish. The human race has been just that, a culture of busyness, racing and chasing externally, as if there was ever something to truly achieve beyond ourselves. So, take a moment to pause, to breathe, to exhale, to release, cry, then do nothing, be still, be silent, meditate, reflect, write, paint, draw, dance, or sing. But understand the hedonic treadmill the paradox of life, and that from the moment we are born, we all begin to die, and nothing is guaranteed in between. So realize what matters most, then awaken and rise with love and shine your light. Now, expanding empathy from self to others, consider that stay at home, for some means a staycation. It can translate to a needed break filled with relaxation. I've heard many prominent celebrities and podcast hosts maintain that Netflix and chill is the answer to all of this. And for those who are fortunate enough to do just that, well, sure, I guess. But for so many of our fellow brothers and sisters, stay at home might mean stay homeless as they scramble to find money for rent and mortgages without pay. Others must keep working to take care of us and those getting sick and keep supply lines going. Sometimes store workers have been berated by customers, even though out-of-stock items have nothing to do with their minimum wage shifts. Millions of children have been sent home from school, and 38% of our nurses have children who would be in school, but now they must choose between continuing their urgent work or coming home or paying for daycare or babysitters 
but doesn't that somewhat defeat the purpose of school closings? So while some are blessed with the flexibility to work from home, many others must worry from home and have already lost their jobs or had to painfully take jobs away from others and fire the employees of their small or large businesses. It's estimated that U.S. employment will likely soar to 20%, and millions of jobs will be lost around the world during this economic quarter, which will likely trigger a mental health crisis. So also many in the arts, music, beauty, and wider service industry have been hit hard. So an economic stimulus package that would put cash directly into Americans' hands is being proposed by members of the federal government. And I can't see why it hasn't happened already or any solid logic not to do that, at least in the short term. With three-quarters of Americans living paycheck to paycheck and half without a spare $400 for emergencies before this crisis began, it seems like it was a national accident waiting to happen. But rare forward thinkers and officials had already warned in the past. So we know there is social security, but imagine if there was already emergency security for such a black swan event like this. And as soon as any president activated a national emergency, the citizens are focused and ready to do their part. Instead of so many dashing in a frenzy to grab whatever they can for themselves and to keep cash flowing anyway, they know how until crippled by fear and doubt, and sometimes purposefully making the situation worse. Don't you think if the people knew they would be made whole, they would have had the bandwidth to quickly mobilize, or in this case, immobilize, and trust the process? According to Forbes magazine, in the United States, 400 Americans own nearly $3 trillion. Worldwide, 500 citizens own nearly $6 trillion. That is not meant to vilify the exorbitantly rich. In my experience, there is nothing quite like the peace of a simple life. I actually have much compassion for them, because they typically have a complicated life, and stress does not discriminate. But how long can we play this zero-sum game? The rules of the game have been such that these imbalances are inevitable, and for good reason, as it does incentivize success and innovation which has brought incredible benefits to mankind. But like in the game of football, the rules can always be adjusted as knowledge spreads to protect the safety of all players, to ensure the game endures and becomes more and more enjoyable for everyone. I mention this only to point to the collective risk of such gross imbalance and to inspire community, which is the only way this mostly disorganized fire drill for the most extreme existential threats that lie ahead such as climate change and deadlier pandemics, can lead to more local, state, federal, corporate, and global cooperation to respond effectively. No doubt, if you woke up today and have plenty, it is a relief. But I hope that the wealthiest among us also wake up and realize that these troubling times will also be the worst to be a billionaire. Because when the people don't have enough to survive, we go back to the basic level of need and creativity and innovation are suppressed to everyone's loss, including those at the top who could have purchased so many fruits of that joy if only a fraction was somehow more equitably distributed. Even if you're rich, if there is a coordination problem and the people cannot do all the varieties of work, then you're not really rich. If everyone had enough, the economy could withstand this. 
This reminds me of something the philosopher Alan Watts said about the Great Depression. They think money makes prosperity. It's the other way around. It's physical prosperity which has money as a way of measuring it. But people think money has to come from somewhere. And it doesn't. Money is something we have to invent, like inches. So you remember the Great Depression when there was a slump? And what did we have a slump of? Money. There was no less wealth, no less energy, no less raw materials than there were before. But it's like you come to work on a building or a house. You, work, you come to work on building a house one day and they said, sorry, you can't build this house today, no inches. So another access point of empathy, stay at home with your partner or family for some but stay home alone for those who are single or rural or quarantined because of infection or because you are elderly. Marriage is already at all-time lows among the struggling middle class, but has remained fairly constant among the top fifth of income earners, suggesting that marriage might be more of a luxury in this economy. Loneliness is already a 21st century pandemic identified by the World Economic Forum as one of the top three global risks last year and estimated to be one of the strongest predictors of premature death, and is, is as unhealthy as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Further still, mental illness plagues more than a quarter of the world, and those with a history of suicidality associated with PTSD, depression, and anxiety will be doubly strained in isolation. Putting ourselves in others' shoes can reveal that our sacrifices will not, will not all be the same as many will have a much heavier burden, but in that is the urgent opportunity for empathy, kindness, and community. Ultimately, there is wealth inequality, and then there's health inequality, and whichever you may be more abundant in, a wealth of money, food, or time, or perhaps the health of youth, mental well-being, or physical strength and energy, please act responsibly, because it's not just about giving money, but giving of ourselves as one family. The root of abundance had nothing to do with money. In Latin, abundare simply meant to overflow. So beyond financial gifts, that kindness may be in the form of phone calls, or texts of support or service, or smiles, which also boost immunity. Give as you can, till the giving feels like receiving. Our collective response to flatten the curve includes social distancing, but really it's just physical distancing for now. We can still build community in all the new ways available to us. So let any of these guide your empathy and highlight a path of kindness in support of each one's biological resistance to the pathogen. The additional perspectives I will share may be limited in understanding. They may even be wrong, but I'm not trying to be right or convince you to believe or win an argument. I'm simply aiming to encourage courage and open up conversation. How do we find courage? I find courage through kindness. I will listen to you without judgment. I'm ready to change my mind as well. Let's listen and learn from each other and heal ourselves and the earth. As I try to take this all in and process, the word that continues to come up for me is trust. Not that I'm telling you who or what to trust, but I'm just observing where there is lack of trust and how it is impacting our communities at every level. If you've had a look around, you will see people have become very nervous 
and started panic buying. Toilet paper is another form of currency now. Water's like the third leading purchase. Yikes. Designated times for the elderly and vulnerable have been set in some stores to give them a fighting chance to get supplies. And gun sales are spiking. What does every man for himself say about the trust we have in each other? And do the different generations trust each other? What will generation, generational variables X, Y, and Z stand for in the end? We know the sacrifice the oldest generations made for our freedom. True freedom is not selfish. Freedom is born from self-discipline. What if this disease was skewed in the other age direction and only people under 30 were mysteriously dying? How, different, uh, how differently would we frame it? It still comes back to trust. We live in the information age, but also the misinformation age. So many competing political and corporate interests too often spoil the integrity of journalism and confuse the public. This wide range of contradictory theories about this crisis and myths and rumors, including from the highest educated people that I know, whether those rumors are true or not, it tells me people don't trust the messages in the media. And that makes it harder to cooperate and leads others to tune out altogether. People don't trust the government because the government doesn't trust the government. There is a lack of cohesion between local, state, and federal response in America, and the almost cult-like behavior along both party lines manifests as a kind of mass bipolar disorder and is now hurting individuals and families in real time as I speak, as it is a struggle to groupthink rationally. It doesn't inspire trust in leadership at all levels. Will we ever outgrow parties? Isn't the party over? When will all citizens really have the opportunity throughout election cycles to truly hear out any thoughtful woman or man with a plan and assess their ability to lead, not just by their power and special backing, but by the quality of their vision and by how tuned they are to the will of the people and the planet? Then throw in corporations that are so large and powerful and whose decisions in this crisis might be on par with those of other nations. Think of the power of Amazon and Google with respect to what they choose to do or not do, combined with all the private interests of the health and insurance industry. Not saying that corporations are bad, but asking how much do we trust that it is all going to be in sync with the highest good, at least when absolutely needed. Then comes trust between countries. People talk about reasons for optimism coming from new data about the coronavirus clearing up in China, with the disclaimer, if we can trust China, which has recently expelled American reporters and originally suppressed the facts and medical town criers about the disease last year to the detriment of the whole planet. Will Italy be on its own, where their entire way of life is threatened? After Brexit, does the EU trust that all their remaining members will work together and share resources and insights from the differing, differing scales of infection and response measures? Oh, and why does Russia have so few cases? You see my point? Finally, can the Earth trust us? How ironic is it that after all these devastating fires in Australia, North America, and also the vast intentional burning, of the Amazon rainforest, described by so many as the collapsing of the lungs of Mother Earth, that now in the wake of that destruction, hundreds of thousands of humans, and maybe soon to be millions, are infected with a novel virus that finally jumped to one of our species from abused animals in wet markets.
then mutated, allowing for rapid transmission from human to human and has an affinity for our lung tissue. While the earth can finally catch her breath for a moment without additional mass pollution, humanity must hold its breath as this serious respiratory disease sweeps through and leads to fever, a fire, in the body. The leading pandemic researcher since the SARS outbreak has called these viruses Mother Nature's Revenge. I think of it all as collective self-injury. What if we were all like cells in one body of humanity, and we have unique roles in various systems, and that's why we're so different, but one shared existence? Then, doesn't it seem like that collective has been seemingly slowly, but in fact rapidly, been dying of cancer? Call it climate change, call it the threat of nuclear annihilation, call it pandemics. But it is the lack of holistic health and harmony. What would it take to heal? And if the drama of humanity was always hopeless, then maybe it's not like that at all. In another analogy, we are like the virus. Virus means poison. Anthropogenic climate change is the scientific consensus that humans have poisoned the land, the air, the rivers, the ocean, the forest, and triggered the immune response of the earth, our host, including the fever of global warming. And in this model, what we call viruses would actually function more like Earth's antibodies. Decades of meditation and spiritual training with extended periods of silence and solitude reminds me that the truth of who we are is beyond all that and all this, beyond the mind and ego and words and concepts. In those rare glimpses, There is an indescribably loving truth to directly experience within and awaken. In that lies our best chance for recovery and triumph of the heart of all. Is it possible to emerge from the ashes of this disaster with a new global ethic built upon the values of trust, community, and world peace? Have we come upon the great filter of the Fermi Paradox? In eerie reason, cosmologists hypothesize why we might actually be alone in the universe. Because when intelligent life gets to this point, which they would have already had the time to do millions of years ago on millions of Earth-like planets just in our Milky Way galaxy, they simply do not pass the test. Now is the time to change. I will conclude this message by saying that this is a reckoning. Everything is interrelated, but there is a vacuum of leadership here and everywhere. How we've organized ourselves throughout the history of our species, according to social dominance theories, which explains gross distributions of power and political influence, such as wealth inequality, gender inequality, race inequality, age inequality, bloodline inequality, caste inequality, and so on, puts us all at extreme risk when it comes to our ultimate survival with respect to the way we manage the resources of our planet and cooperate in times of crisis and the coming existential threat of climate change. And that cooperation is built upon trust, just like any healthy relationship. Again, I extend my love and kindness to you all, and especially to the sick, the dying, the grieving, the impoverished, the hungry, lonely, and suffering at this time and in all times. 
May we all be safe. May we all be healthy. May we all be peaceful. And may we all grow spiritually. Thank you for listening to me, and I look forward to listening to you.